Hello, and welcome to ASCII's podcast show, Can We Talk? Conversations in Early Childhood Education. In our second episode, A Conversation with an SLP, you will hear Yvette Soriel from ASCII ask Jacqueline Viganello from Early Words some questions around children's speech and language and what a speech language pathologist does. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to Can We Talk? A question and answer podcast with experts in the field about topics that are important to educators and parents of young children. I'm Yvette Soriel, an early childhood educator, professional learning consultant with Affiliated Services for Children and Youth in Hamilton, Ontario. Today, I'm talking with Jacqueline Vignanello, a preschool speech and language pathologist working at Early Words in Hamilton. Jacqueline has over 20 years clinical experience working with preschool children and their families, mostly within the Hamilton community. She has experience in working with children with ASD, developmental language disorders, praxia of speech, articulation, phonology, and stuttering disorders. She was involved in the Hamilton Best Start, providing community-based communication support to children within inner city Hamilton. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, Yvette. Great to have you. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. We wanted to have you have a chat with us because in the field of early childhood education, there's often questions around speech and language, which tends to be one of the first things that parents and educators notice in terms of special needs or needing particular help. Because we're broadcasting to people within different domains of the early childhood education field, many of which are also students, I thought it'd be good to start by asking you, would you describe what a preschool speech language pathologist does? Preschool speech language pathologist, I can talk to that within my role in Hamilton and just in general. You already mentioned that I did a lot of community work. Within that role, it was connecting with early childhood educators and discussing their concerns in the classroom, interacting with other children, understanding and using language with the early childhood educators. And within that role, we did a lot of problem solving and came up with some programming ideas within the classroom. And some of those children did need direct goals around communication, but much of it was classroom-based goals. But generally speaking, there are roles that we have that don't involve community work. And generally, a preschool speech and language pathologist often gets involved with families when they call into the agency that is providing that service and they talk to the intake worker. The intake worker sets up appointments for us. We meet with the family. We do a comprehensive case history about the medical, family, social, and communication background of the child. We do observation, play, informal, formal testing. A lot of it though is based on parent report and we also like to use our own clinical observation. And then we come up with goals, suggestions and programming options for the families based on the child's presentation and the family's needs. So in Hamilton, we offer a wide variety of parent programming options and therapy options. We often refer on to the Ron Joyce Children's Health Center if it seems that 
a child may need support in other areas, such as having a developmental assessment, having another professional involved. Many educators are reluctant to approach parents with concerns about their child development. How do you approach families with your concerns? How do you share sensitive news? Well, of course, the family would need to have mentioned some concern of some sort first. Otherwise, you risk them getting angry, not listening to what you have to say as an early childhood educator. So often you have to establish rapport with the family and have conversations with them on a regular basis and develop a relationship and trust with that family before that discussion can really occur. And in many of the early on centers in Hamilton, we do have developmental milestones indicated on our cards that indicates to call our preschool speech and language initiatives that can be shared with families if families have indicated a concern around communication. And once they can get into an assessment with us, many times we also have to establish rapport with the family in order to um, talk about other areas that may be of concern. So it can be very, very difficult, especially right now during COVID when we're not really seeing families face-to-face and that trust can be difficult to obtain. Could you describe different reactions and what strategies you have used to help them. Let's say, because in the early years, if an educator was approaching a parent, sometimes they might be in denial. They have that trust, but still they have a tough time coming to grips with having them see a speech language pathologist. And sometimes our challenge is just having them make that appointment with you. What kind of reactions do you get? You know, having been in the field for years, you you get reactions if the family is not ready to hear the news. And sometimes the news is it appears that your child has difficulty playing with toys in a way that shows that they understand pretend, imagination. Um, What do you think about that? And if you ask the parents what they think about it, you can get a sense of what they feel about it parent is not ready to hear something, it's our job to make the recommendation to have a further assessment from a professional who is able to do an overall developmental assessment. You know, and a lot of times when you make a recommendation for a developmental pediatrician consultation, they may just deny it. And then you say, okay, well, that's something that's available to you down the road. And if you have further rapport established with them over time, you can recommend it again. And if they don't want to follow up with it, we as professionals need to respect that. So I try not to get those quote unquote reactions because that's going to affect the service and the service delivery model. They may not want to come back to see me. So I have to work with what they can accept, but at the same time, do my job as a professional and make those recommendations. What is the youngest age that children should be referred to early words? Well, you know, the developmental norms start as early as six months. At six months, 
It, it indicates that a child should be responding to sound. At nine months, they should be responding to their name. If there is no hearing difficulty, and we know that for sure, but at nine to 12 months, the child is not responding to their name and does not appear to be responding to others in their environment, not really making good eye contact that's meaningful. As early as nine to 12 months, we can take referrals, families that have questions and get them guided in the right direction at the infant parent program over at the Ron Joyce Children's Health Center specializes in the early uh, development of the child quite young. So if a family did call into us and had concerns, we may refer them over to the infant parent program. But many times we at Early Ward do do some kind of an initial consultation. The earliest I've ever seen a child at Early Words has been about 15 months. Most families do not call in before that. We have the Ask the Speech Language Pathologist now virtually. I'd encourage families and the early childhood educators to use that service to ask these questions because early intervention is the key to providing the support that the children need. And any question that a family has is never a silly question and it's never too young. Mm-hmm. As the speech language pathologist is that program within the early ons, it's a virtual program through the early on programming calendar. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, that, the, the one that we started since the COVID. Yeah, it used to be the check it out clinics when we were face to face. So that's a really good avenue for families to call in and ask questions about speech and language development. I do them once a month. So I'm just wondering, though, uh, are is are there cultural considerations that you have to take or think about when you approach families? Absolutely, 100%. You know, all cultures have different ways of interacting and engaging with children. And some cultures may not have experience in knowing how to play with their children. And that's where, you know, we can support them within our parent programs and do assessments and see how they play and if they're not interacting comfortably or easily we can help encourage them to play because all of our programming needs are based on play for the most part so you know if if families are not comfortable with play that's also something to consider you know and yeah I've seen that that can be an issue and people sometimes feel uncomfortable playing in front of a professional as well so that's something that you also have to have to consider what do you wish educators would share with families when talking about speech language concerns probably the developmental norms that they can refer to on the card that we supplied that's created by early words i think that that's the most important thing that they can share and that they encourage them to contact us for an assessment or attend the Ask the SLP forums that are held once a month virtually right now. Often with the Ask the SLP, we think of it as a service for parents, but educators can call in too or zoom in and and have their questions answered as well. It's it's not just restricted to parents. Absolutely. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Yes, I couldn't agree more. How many children do you estimate have the speech and language problems? 10% of the population generally has speech and language problems in children. I, that's the last incidence 
percentage that I have seen. What advice do you have for second language learners? So this is a tricky one because many, many people have been told different things, especially parents that uh, come into the clinic. But we always, always encourage parents to speak the language that's most comfortable for them to speak to promote the natural interactions with their children. If parents speak two different languages, so let's say, for example, mom speaks Spanish best and dad speaks Ukrainian best, we encourage the parents to speak the language, which is their best language model to their child. Parents would then speak English probably to each other. Speaking broken English to the child is not necessarily beneficial to the child, even though we live in an English society. People and parents often think that English is the way that they should speak to their child, even if it is broken. The first language, which is most natural, is what's encouraged. It's the consistency of it. The child will pick up the English language later. They have to have a really good base in language one, language two, and then those skills transfer over. The same thing stands for children with special needs. I mean, if you speak multiple languages, that's just the way it is. Those children with special needs may, may need visual supports in place to help support language development, especially the important functional daily words like food and routine words. But for the most part, it's the same, but it may need to be simplified or supplemented in whichever language that's being spoken at home. Good to know. So I'm going to play a little game, wondering if you could answer some true or false, and maybe our listeners could answer the true or false to the questions before you give yours answer. So first of all, true or false, you should not use baby talk with an infant. False. The reason that I answered false is that infants naturally need what's called motherese. And motherese is a type of sing-song talking that we naturally do with infants to gain and keep their attention when they're babies. It's so natural and it occurs around the world and should be encouraged to develop attachments and lay the foundation for future language learning. Okay, so... True or false, you should not use baby talk with toddlers. Well, that one is true because a toddler is starting to use language, is starting to use nonverbal language, pointing, waving, gesturing, and they're able to start to produce words. So you do not want to be using baby talk with them. If your child says, Baba, you, you want a model? Yeah, bottle. You want your bottle. If a child says, go, go, you know, for car or something, you're going to want to say, yeah, it's a car. You want to encourage natural language use and vocabulary labeling as much as possible in the early stages of language development. Yeah, building that vocabulary template, I've heard it called. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Okay, soothers impede speech development. Well, this one is true and false, and it depends on, you know, up to a certain age. So 
you know, up to a certain age, 12 months, soothers can be beneficial, as we all know, to help babies soothe. You know, if a soother is promoted beyond age 18 months to two years old, the, the palatal arch and the dentition can be affected depending on how often the child is given the soother. Also, if a child is starting to talk and talks with the soother in the mouth at all, the speech sounds become distorted. This is my knowledge based on what I've seen in the children that I've seen. How about boys talk later than girls? Hmm. This, is, this is one I hear a lot. Generally speaking, that's false. Sometimes little boys are more focused on the physical domain of development, more jumping, climbing, rough play. But the norms, the developmental norms for children at young ages is not gender specific. So boys and girls alike should be meeting the developmental norms for language and speech. And if not, referral to a speech language pathologist is warranted. So then how about a younger child? talks later than their older sibling. True or false? Generally speaking, that's also false. A lot of uh, families think that that's what's happening. And basically, if a child isn't talking when meeting developmental norms, there is some kind of a reason. It's easier to talk than to wait and guess that somebody else is going to guess what you want to say. It's easier to talk than to not talk and try to use gestures. So generally speaking, the answer to that question is false. Interesting. Yeah, over time, people formulate their own ideas of language and parents will listen to their parents because they've heard it. And it's nice to dispel some of these myths. How about children grow out of a language delay? Well, generally speaking, that's false because some children do and some children don't. Some kids see us for early language delay and the, the parents get the suggestions that they need and they may attend a parent program and they completely grow out of it. Other children need more intervention, more support. So if your child or a child that you know is not meeting developmental norms by 18 months, access an assessment by a speech language pathologist so that the speech language pathologist and parents can work together to create a plan of care. Now, having said that, I also said that if you are concerned about your child at 12 months, do not hesitate to contact early words to ask questions and refer. If you're not comfortable and other people in the family are saying, oh, he's too young, he's too young, don't worry about it, or the family doctor may say that to you, You're never wasting our time. How about going directly to the Early Words website and getting on the wait list? Yep, there's an online form that Early Words has through the ASCII website. And there's also developmental norms on that website. So that gives families and early childhood educators the heads up about if there are concerns or not, even if they don't have those cards I was talking about, if they're not in center. Uh, so, you know, that would uh, definitely be a way to address this. Okay, one last uh, true-false question for you. Language delays can be inherited. 
True or false? This is true. Not always. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Many times you'll see several children in a family come in with a language delay. Now, having said that, speech is different than language. Speech is how we produce sounds, how fluently we make words, how we change our pitch and our loudness. Speech is the actual physical way that we produce sound. Language is the way that we learn and understand words and put them together to communicate. Is there some family history there sometimes? Sometimes, not always. So for example, there is research that shows that children who have a family history of stuttering are more at risk. Very interesting. Well, thanks, Jacqueline, for chiming in and having this conversation with me on Can We Talk? In the next podcast, Jacqueline and I will have a brief discussion about children with autism and other special needs. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Yvette, for having me.